Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, Mark, welcome to another episode of Informed Dissent. Great Hello, to be back. Hello, Jeff. <laughs> We've got a really cool guest. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. And we have Nathan Riley, who is a holistic OBGYN. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. So Nathan, welcome to Informed Descent. It's my pleasure, guys. It's late here, but my wife, she just got her period and she's like, I'm happy just watching TV tonight if you just want to roll. And I was like, done, booked it. And so Perfect. you've got me for as much time as you want. It's, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. So this is audio, of course, so most people can't see, but if you could see, you would see Nathan's got a fluorescent uterus <laughs> over his left shoulder. And one of the, it looks like one of the fallopian tubes is, is giving the finger. So what's up with that? Yeah, it's a wary left fallopian tube just happens to be cocked in the, in the upright position. And given what I do, it's mostly around personal accountability and informed consent or informed dissent, which in the women's health space, I, I think it's, it's become a quite a big problem. You know, it's not just about Roe versus Wade or anything like that. It's around virtually everything in the, from the preconception all the way through the postpartum period. We've been led astray, I think, in our medical training as OBGYNs as to what informed consent really looks like. So as soon as you guys popped up on my feed, I was like, I got to follow these guys because that is exactly, you know, where I'm at in, in sort of every bucket that I have my fingers in. So the uterus is really just a reflection of this ongoing conversation around, you know, what do you have to do? What are you permitted to do? Like all these weird little languages that we, we learned in our medical training. And, you know, when it comes down to it, every decision is yours. You can say no to absolutely everything that somebody that looks like me would throw at you. And I, I train people to practice that in their everyday lives so that when they do end up you know, being approached by a medical doctor or a midwife or whoever, that they can still just say, no, thank you. I, I don't need that right now. Yeah. You know, the FDA just recently approved for birth control pills to be sold over the counter. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 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 How do you feel about that? You know, again, to each their own. My wife and I met when we were 15 and I remember one day we were getting hot and heavy. We we're in Mexico. She's Mexican. And I remember putting my hand down the back of her pants and feeling like a patch on her butt. And I was like, oh, and she was like, well, I, you know, I figured maybe we would take that step someday. I mean, we were young, we were 16, 17 at the time. And she was on birth control through a patch, which is different from a pill, but she was on that for like 10 years and she started to really kind of lose it. And, and I'm not, she would be fine with me saying this, but she felt like the world had lost color you know, she wasn't really feeling like any vitality anymore. And when she came off of it, suddenly we were in college, suddenly like the life became like technicolor again. It was probably like from going black and white to color again. And that was way before I thought it was going to be a doctor, let alone an OBGYN. And now looking back at the way that I was trained, you know, we, we had these were within reach on our little stools that we'd wheel around in. I'd go from the stirrups, reach back and grab the birth control. And here's your free sample. I don't think it was conspiracy. I think it was just an easy silver bullet, which was demanded by a lot of consumers for a variety of women's health concerns. But frankly, I felt uncomfortable with it from early on. And fortunately, you were able to, you had to get a prescription. So it was like, oh, there's a little barrier here. Maybe we should have a conversation around some of the downsides of putting women, especially before their gin or H and their ovaries had kind of caught up with a rhythm of nature. Maybe instead of putting them on that, maybe we should talk about, you know, what are like, what is fertility all about? Like, what is your fertile window? What is all this? But there was no time or incentive to do that. And now you can bypass that whole process and, hey, get rid of that pesky period. But that period to me is now that I do what I do and I have little girls, like that's sort of a gift in a way, you know? And if we could reframe societally what, you know, menstruation and ovulation is, it would be great for us men, as young men who are wanting to become sexually active. And I think it would be really, really helpful for young women to understand that instead of just squelching them and putting them kind of in an iatrogenic menopause early in life, it'd be nice if, if somebody were to have that conversation with them, but instead it's advertised as another means to get people in pharmaceuticals and 
you know, I don't know if you've seen, there's a, there was a pretty famous study that came out of Denmark. It was over a million women. And they, they looked at an association between your, your a prescription for an SSRI and at what age and for what duration you were on any sort of hormonal contraception. It was a pretty darn close association. So frankly, to me, I feel like, you know, if you want to be on birth control, there's great reasons to have hormonal contraception. But if we're going to be able to bypass this and buy, buy it like it's, you know, like ibuprofen, to me, we're just doing so much harm there. It's, it's such a yeah, detriment to our young I don't, women. I don't know that it's a great idea to be on hormonal contraception. I mean, it, that, that's a woman's choice and I honor that. Yeah. But what we're not doing is actually giving them informed consent. That's right. We're not telling them that we are suppressing their natural estrogen and progesterone. We're not telling them that these products actually can alter their personality. And as a result, they make different choices with the men that they're going to be totally. with. Totally. We're not telling them that long-term it could cause infertility problems, Absolutely. that it can cause weight gain, that it can cause mineral disruptions, and it can deplete them of selenium and magnesium and zinc. Yep. And we're not telling them that it can also cause blood clots and other side effects. If we told them all that, yep. and then they still said, well, for the convenience of it, because I'm promiscuous and I can't bother to count the days in my period or check right. my cervical mucus or detect my um, basal body temperature. I don't want to do any of that. I just want to take a pill. Right. Then by all means, they should be able Go to do that. It. Yeah. But we're not telling women any of Anything. that. Like not and a nobody thing. reads the package. Nobody reads the package insert. Nobody is given informed consent. We're given a pill as if it is normal, acceptable, and just routine right. that you take a 15 or 16-year-old and you give them a birth control pill. Couldn't have said it better. You know, not to mention. And now we and now we make this crap over the counter. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's becoming so ubiquitous in our society to be using hormones for a variety of reasons. I mean, it starts with like the melatonin craze. You know, using hormones in order to quote biohack something. And in this case, hey, why have a pesky period? Or heck, why worry about getting pregnant? Just take this pill, and it takes all of your worries away. To take that one step further. My colleagues, the people who trained me, you know, were very, very passionate around a woman's choice. And, and while I think that there's probably some people that have benefited from this, I never once heard a real counseling session around what the long-term consequences of this were, you know, entailed. And having seen it firsthand with my wife and so many of my clients who have come my way, frankly, I know my wife will never be on hormonal contraception. I know my girls will very likely not be on hormonal contraception ever. And like you said, to each their own. Like if you're going to do that, understand that there are some serious downsides to this. And I will also say that this is one of the, plat the, the topics that has gotten me the most heat on a variety of platforms because it sounds anti-feminist and it sounds anti-women. And it's like, no, this is pro-women to empower people with information and real- We don't want to hurt women anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and I tell women they should, they ought not put breast implants in. It's harmful right. to them. Right. It causes problems. The body knows that these things are foreign and they react to it. That's right. That's but right. that's anti-woman, apparently. We have a, there, there is a, a, an overgoing shifting conversation around this, but I, I do- really, uh, I'm always impressed whenever men are stepping into the conversation as well and saying, listen, I've got women in my life that I care about. And for me, I'm surrounded by women. Like I've got little girls, all my friends are women. All, I have all these midwives that, with whom I work. All of my clients are women. My wife is a woman. Like my dog is even a woman. Like I'm surrounded by women and I really, really care about them. So <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about your practice. Where, where are you located and what kind of practice are you in? I live in Louisville, Kentucky. I did all my training out in California. And then I came out here. I was recruited by a palliative care service at a major hospital system and called them on Medicare fraud. They wanted to fire me. Human resources said, we've screwed up here. This guy's, this guy's going to walk. So I broke that contract and went to work for hospice got fired from hospice, from a, a hospice, the biggest hospice agency out here for taking off my mask during COVID, caring for an old dying man. And I'm forever grateful because now what I get, I get to do is it's, it's mostly a telehealth sort of platform that I use because I have people coming from around the world seeking out truly low intervention 
childbirth, but also a, a truly holistic upstream root cause approach to their a variety of women's health issues. And I support midwives around the country as well. And I do home birth. So I'm doing everything I wasn't, I was told I wasn't supposed to do, <laughs> or I wasn't at least incentivized or trained to do when I was in medical school, residency, and then fellowship. Right. My daughter is pregnant with her first, lives in a small town outside of Milwaukee, and she'll be having a home birth with a midwife. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. And so you're licensed in Kentucky and California? I'm licensed in 26 states now. Wow. Yeah. And so you can do telehealth in all, all those 26 states, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I support midwives like uh, on, a, a, on a consultative basis because many midwives, their state licensing restrictions prohibits them from practicing without a, quote, supervising right. physician, which is complete garbage, of course. But, right. Of course. You know, I just do my best. Yeah, and so uh, I'm just curious. I'm licensed in three states. I'm thinking of getting uh, licensed in more. I do a lot of telehealth, mm -hmm. COVID and other problems, right. holistic integrative care and so forth. How do you handle malpractice insurance? I don't. You don't. I don't have it. Now, there, there's, there's more to that story. First off, I've tried to get insurance coverage, but when you work with midwives as their consultative, collaborative, supervising physician, whatever you want to call it, every state has a different term, most insurance companies see you as a walking liability. Having said that, the care that midwives provide women in the home birth setting is often way better than what OBGYNs are doing. So right. the the, the margin of error, right, from a standpoint of liability, I actually think is way less than what OBGYNs are facing on a national level. And frankly, the people that are going to sue me are either insurance companies because I'm getting cheaper means of, of <laughs> doesn't make sense financially for people listening, but to provide, let's say, a protocol of some vitamins and some healthy foods and whatnot to beat this thing versus them going in, into the hospital for whatever reason, we'll, we won't name the thing that, you know, to be unnamed. It, I guess it loses money for the system. I mean, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. But when you get to know people in the way that you guys probably practice, you develop a relationship with them. They're not the ones that are going to sue you. It'll be the insurance companies right. or the hospital administrators right. that are pissed off about something. So, you know, I'm I'm walking a tightrope, and but I'm you know I'm I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I've I've taken care of myself in in other ways to have uh, deeply connected and rooted relationships in the communities that I serve. And uh, frankly, when, when you approach it through truly informed consent, there's very, very little that anybody in a courtroom is going to say that, that went wrong because I've given people tools. I've helped them modify their lifestyle such that they may have had two really, really high risk pregnancies and we won't get into risk stratification in pregnancy, but they end up with the healthiest third pregnancy that they could have ever dreamed of. And they're actually way lower risk then than they were before. So the liability margin actually goes down quite a bit when you're actually taking care of the root cause of disease or even pregnancy complications, you know, to boot, like once they get that glimmer in their eye. So my, my clients have 90 minute labors and I don't, the last one I was at, I travel for home birth sometimes. I didn't even have to put a pair of gloves on. I mean, it, it's, it's that good. And, and I'm not saying that's, that's special about me. I'm just saying that when you do things, like when you do things right and you're not preparing a person to have a high risk condition just by virtue of having a positive pregnancy test and you you take in uh, into account how their thyroid's working and their nutrient deficiencies and everything they end up actually having pretty easy births to begin with so there's a it, it's a whole box to unpack there but yeah i don't, will I don't you, carry it <laughs> i don't carry insurance will you do home birth for breech births yeah absolutely i actually host a, an annual conference to to help train midwives and birth workers and obgyn residents because OBGYNs aren't aren't interested, I guess, in learning. But I do it. No, they, they just will do a C. They're just learning how to do a C section if there's a breach. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to you know, we can get into breach if you want, but the the fact of the matter is, like, you've got a big rump coming out. Like, you're in the triage. You're an OBGYN that just finished residency. You think you're like really sharp, but if three to four percent of babies at term are butt first, and you can't handle that then you're not really an expert in anything. You're actually like a mechanic that is like, except I don't do carburetors, right? Like that's not a part of right. the deal. I wanted to be a real well-rounded OBGYN. So I went to multiple trainings. I found mentors that would take me to home births. We did breach. Two or three births ago, it was a surprise breach. Baby came out. <laughs> Just the way it goes. How about twins? So yeah. What was that? How about twins? Twins at home, yeah. 
Yeah, Momo yeah. mo, mo twins, monochorionic, monoamniotic twins are the only ones that I would say it's probably best in the hospital. They can get tangled up in the cords, but as uh-huh. long as they've got two separate sacs, I don't, I don't even see it as high risk. And how does somebody reach you if they're interested in consulting with you? Probably on Instagram is the best way, Nathan Riley, OBGYN, but my website's belovedholistics.com. Nathan Riley, OBGYN on Instagram. Yeah. Wow. That's going to end. You're quite the pioneer. (laughs) You know, I've had some really good mentors over the years who are very much in alignment with the informed consent piece. And frankly, you can't go wrong if you're providing people risks, benefits, alternatives, and letting them make the decision. You know, there's nothing guaranteed when you get pregnant. You're not even entitled to having a living baby. It's a part of being human. It's a part of being mortal. But when you start counseling a person from early on, like, again, when they get that twinkle in their eye that they want to grow a family, and you start to put the, the decision-making in their hands through adequate counseling and support and, like, le- like letting them lean on you. You know, it's not just a five-minute visit. It's a two-hour visit where we get into everything from your religious and spiritual beliefs all the way to what you're eating on a daily basis. When they have that control, they make decisions that are in alignment with their intuition and things just go better. So, yeah, I have a very privileged, I guess, position here in the, in the pregnancy space, but I've had a lot of mentors that have helped me guide, helped guide me there to really decondition and deprogram myself from, from the sort of coercive, I'm the captain of the ship kind of way of approaching obstetrics. Well, pregnancy isn't a disease. Right. <laughs> it's, it's one of the few specialties that focuses on natural processes that are not right to be avoided. And I was always a bit surprised when I was in training and I went through my OB rotation of this sort of, it's not even medicalized, but actually pathologized That's right. point of pregnancy, which, right. which I found very disturbing and, and which leads to all these other issues we brought up, I guess we and you brought up early on in the conversation, the, the idea of everybody just automatically going on birth control, kind of like yeah. a vitamin. Right. Like, well, why wouldn't you want to take vitamin D and vitamin A? It's it's healthy. Right. Why wouldn't you want to take birth control pills to prevent this this, this uh, disease pathologic process. condition, this disease process mm. called pregnancy? Who who wants that? And I think that's a pre a presupposition that people go in with both patients and and doctors. I completely that agree. Leads to horrible outcomes. So I think you're what you're doing is first of all is you're challenging that presupposition and saying, well, what if we just toss that out? But if we don't accept that, that opens up a whole wide path of a different way to see and view pregnancy and the way that it was seen for a very, very long time yeah. until, until modern times, I assume. Yeah, I, I, I can say something to that, which actually out of, out of self-preservation, a story that I like to tell is, you know, when you guys were in your residency training, you remember those calls, like you had multiple pagers. I had three or four pagers on my belt, Right. I had one that was going to ring for this unit. One was going to ring for this unit. I was also on call for the ICU, you know, the maternal, you know, maybe postpartum patients that ended up in the ICU. And I was so tired. You know, they, they cut back the work weeks to, I think it was 80, but that doesn't mean you're actually working 80 hours. You just had to lie in order to make it, you know, get it through the, whatever it was, ACGME's sort of joint commission rounds. And it got to the point when I was later in residency where I was like, the more, like, if I get cold again, I'm just going to jump off a bridge. Like I was so tired and I was so tired that I wouldn't even wake up when the pager would go off. So I would, I would like put it on my groin or I'd put it on my neck because I couldn't wake up. I was like, I would sleep through a beeping pager. Like for those listening, that is insanity. And so I decided I'm not going to go and I'm not going to answer the pages anymore. Now, I wasn't doing that to be disobedient, but it was like, what if I just didn't do a cervical exam every four hours? Like, what would happen? And I f- what, what ended up happening was women were getting sleep and the nurses were happier and my, my co-residents were happier and the women, the woman giving birth and her partner, they were happier. And my C-section rate started declining so much that I had to actually scrub into other C-section cases in order to get my numbers. So... I was onto something here and we did get to train with midwives and I started going to home births on my off time, like my infinite free time as a resident. And it was like, okay, the less I intervene, the better outcomes I'm getting. So I started really digging into the literature and it was like, oh shit, there are people around the world doing the job that I'm trained to do and they're intervening way less 
and they're getting better outcomes in other countries. So what's, what's up with this? And what it turned out to be was that all of these interventions were leading to the high C-section rates, which is approaching 40% in our country nationally on average. So what I, I did as a sort of an experiment was, let me see how little I can intervene. How little can I put my hands into a person's body? And let me see what the outcomes look like. And the outcomes were actually stellar, which led to quite a problem for my program because I was unwilling to intervene now. And they were challenging me on it. So I even have, I actually still have this thing here, which now has like tax documents and all that other stuff, probably licenses. I don't know. There's a whole assortment of things in there. But it, that was packed filled with papers that helped justify not intervening in the natural physiology of childbirth, such that I could just walk through and say, I'm not doing it because of this reason. And this paper actually says that it would be better to not do that thing, you know, artificial rupture of membranes or whatever. And it turned out that that was doing better. So I knew I was on the right track, but that was something hard fought. That was something I had to actually become like a disciplined, like literature review student, an academic for maybe the first time in my life to really justify not doing the things I was being taught to do. And even ACOG, the American College of OBGYNs, they use subtle language, but they will describe very clearly in some of their practice guidelines and committee opinions that pregnancy is by nature a high risk condition. And you, know, you, you pointed it out very, very clearly there. Pregnancy is not a disease. And more importantly, birth is not a medical procedure. But if you call a surgeon to do that job, 70% of OBGYN's training is surgery. Everything is going to look like a nail. And I've gotten really, really good with a hammer. So for me, it was a matter of, of unpacking what is the minimum. It's sort of like when we prescribe a medicine, what is the minimum effective dose of my training that helps a person get through this very delicate and what I see as a very sacred process? And when you look at it differently, when you can just take a step back and say, what if I did less and sat on my hands until absolutely necessary? What happens is everything falls into place. Nature takes over and women have babies. Go figure. And they have no disease mm -hmm. to be treated. They have no you know, issue that needs to be surgically fixed. But the more that we intervene, the more this cascade of things happens where then we have to jump in and save the day. And I don't want to have to save the day. In fact, I don't want to have to do anything. I don't even have to put a pair of gloves on. And that makes me feel like, even though I'm never going to be an expert because I'll never give birth, it makes me feel like I'm getting closer and closer to this point where, you know, these surgeons like the, the Parisian surgeon, Michel Odon, he's written quite a bit about pregnancy and childbirth. He told me as a mentor, he was like, what we're not studying is when things go beautifully well. Instead, we're focusing on that one in a million bad thing. And we're changing everything in our practice to make sure that one in a million bad thing doesn't happen. Well, what if we forgot about the one in a million? And what if we focused on the, the hundreds of thousands of women that are giving you know, birth in their homes and they're being undisturbed and they're not even being touched. They're just being like, you're holding the space for them. That's what I would like to see maternity care start to look like. And I think midwives are wow. really leading the way there, which is why I, so, I train so, them. So Dr. Riley, somebody yeah. who's listening, lives somewhere in the country, who's wanting to get pregnant for the first time, um, what's your advice to her as to how to manage that process, how to seek out appropriate medical counseling to help her through that process? I think it's really important that you find somebody that really like gets you. Like they're really willing to stop their checklist thing and they're just really, really willing to sit there and listen. I think if they're willing to build a relationship with you, they're willing to have a conversation and they're not going to impress their value systems onto your care, find that person. And it doesn't matter if they're in the hospital, they're in a birth center, they're at home, or if you're going to free birth, which if I was going to have a baby, I would probably free birth, but I'm biased because I'm an OBGYN. And when you find that person, define free birth, that would be having no medical personnel at your birth. During COVID, that became a somewhat more popular, especially, I mean, certainly home birth did, but women had, uh, were starting to feel so, I don't want to say it's not just dissatisfaction. It was a, an, a, a true betrayal of our medical establishment and anybody with any credentials that reflected the medical system to them or the ABOG or ACOG or CDC or NIH, whatever 
I think they were really growing just distrustful of that, uh, of that, this medical Leviathan. And so anybody in a white coat with a stethoscope, anybody with any medical expertise at all was just going to be, they're going to distance themselves. So a free birth would be, you know, equivalent to you being at home, having nobody around, but maybe your partner, not even a doula. Well, well, I mean, come on, you're, you're a board certified, trained OBGYN. Yeah. It's easy for you to say free birth because you, you know all this right. stuff. But for the average woman with no medical training, are, do you really think that free birth is a thing? I think it's a thing if a person understands and appreciates that there's not a guarantee to having a living baby after this. So it's a good question. And I think a lot of people are really confronted by this. But if you were to consider that Going into the hospital, many women who choose to have a free birth, by the way, and there's going to be people who hear this that disagree, but many women who decide to have a free birth are compelled to do so because of a fear of what's going to happen to them in the care of a uh-huh. medical professional. And one example, uh, many examples, you know, um, in the hospital would look like I had an, un, you know, an undisturbed, a physiologic, unmedicated, natural vaginal birth and healthy mom, healthy baby. It was good but something still didn't feel right. It was somebody walking in and compelling me to have them, you know, to allow them to shove their hand inside of their vagina without actually talking to them and getting to know them, not even introducing themselves and just saying, I need to check on the baby. Well, the, the, the fear is you go into the hospital, they put you in a very unnatural position. They put your legs up in the air in a stirrup because that's convenient for the doctor. They lie you on their back. They allow you to labor for a short period of time, followed by the introduction of an epidural to make you completely numb mm-hmm. from your waist down, to allow you then to labor, to tear yourself open because you can't feel a thing. And then at the first sign of anything going sideways, they rush you into the emergency room That's to right. do a C-section. That's right. To the operating room. Yeah. Yeah. And then when your baby is born, they take your baby they immediately uh, uh, cut the umbilical cord. They don't allow the placenta to be delivered while the umbilical cord is attached. They then whisk your baby away to the newborn nursery. If you're lucky, they'll allow you to bond with your baby and breastfeed. Usually not. They whisk your baby away. They convince you to put a needle in the baby's arm the next day with hepatitis B. They give your baby an injection of vitamin K that is arguably (laughs) unnecessary. They smear some antibiotic ointment over the baby's eyes that arguably is completely unnecessary. And then they give your baby formula because they want you to rest and recover from the trauma-induced delivery that they just created. Do I have that about right? You you nailed it. Obviously, you've seen this happen before. (laughs) So from that perspective, free birth with a free bird playing while you give your baby sounds kind of good. Yeah, the when I ask people when I ask people to close your eyes and anybody listening can do this, just pause if you're driving or something. Just pause and close your eyes and imagine what would the room and the setting of giving birth feel like to you? Like just dream it up. You know, what do you taste? What are you smelling? Who what voices are you hearing? Are you hearing anything at all? You know, when you start to create this dreamscape, most people don't describe what you just described. And if we wanted to put, you know, that's enough for me. That was enough for my wife. Our second was born at home, which is heresy for an OBGYN. And she had 90 minute labor. We were doing a type of breath work where my wife's the portal opened, the portal closed and baby Everly was asleep on her chest. It was the most incredible thing in my life. Most people dream that up. That's usually what they're imagining. That's very hard to do in the hospital system where you have to fight every step of the way to not have something done because it's either protocolized, it's policy, or somebody says it's evidence, it's nonsense. But if we wanted to put science to it, whatever that word even means anymore, it's been completely perversed. You could look at this through the lens of uh, like polyvagal theory, which looks at the autonomic ladder. And you have these three legs uh, of the nervous system. You've got your ventral vagal, which is really when you're feeling your best. That's when you can really grow and connect. Then you have your sympathetic, which is the flight or fight. And then you freeze, which is dorsal vagal. In the moments after birth, the baby has developed the dorsal vagal early in pregnancy and then towards the end of pregnancy, the sympathetic tone. That's why the baby's heart rate fluctuates so much. And then towards the end of the third trimester and into six months of the baby's life, you have the completion of the development of the ventral vagal nervous system. And because that's incomplete in preterm babies, 
That's why they're at high risk of SIDS. That's, and, and it's, it's perpetuated by putting them in an incubator, separating them from their mother and father, and not allowing them to co-regulate with, with the sounds and the smells and the experience of being within the amniotic universe before they arrived Earthside. But if you were to dream this up and compare a home birth like my wife had and, and I had, compared to what you described in the hospital system, you get these two very, very contrasting experiences. And somebody might say, well, what's the big deal, doc? There's all these things. It's helpful to the baby. Okay, maybe, maybe. If you're a little boy, we didn't include, we're going to cut off a, your, a chunk of your foreskin, you know, 24 hours into life. This co-regulation with mom and baby and dad, of course, where the baby comes out, there's not screaming, there's not chaos in the room. The baby comes out and is placed right on your chest and starts immediately rooting around on the breasts for the nipple. And there's this little like vernix covered slithery little baby on your chest. And you start whispering sweet nothings and saying, oh, you're here. And you start smelling them. And they're still like centimeters from your aorta. They can feel your heartbeat. They can feel your chest rising and falling. This co-regulation period is actually helpful for that baby's long-term health. We know this through the lens of some of the advancements in the nervous system and neurology. And a lot of neurologists don't even understand this. And I've talked to them about it because they're in my program, the Born Free Community. So when you look at these two experiences, we're not talking about just the luxury of how, what a beautiful birth. We're actually talking about this being good for your baby to come out into not a chaotic scene, but being gently invited into this new extra uterine space and, and establishing a co-regulation with your mom, not just physiologically, but also mentally, emotionally, spiritually, perhaps even, where this baby is now feeling safe versus what you just described, where they're being whisked away and we chop the cord and we pop you full of sharp things and we put goop on your eye. Like how disorienting that would be for a new baby. Like this is important. This is our gener the next generation of our of our of our species. So yes, everything you said. Congrats, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> there she is. <laughs> you know, I'm almost crying listening to Dr. Riley's description of what birth should be like. And I know my daughter listens and she's pregnant. She's she's going to be due in July. And I'm so proud of her that she's choosing a home birth with a midwife. I guess my years of encouraging holistic health and so forth has has paid off. You know, listen, just a couple of years ago, I had a nurse who worked for me. Her name is Stephanie. She'll be listening to this as well. And, you know, she was a couple months in working with me and she said, hey, I'm going to be out this afternoon because my sister is delivering a baby. I said, okay, cool. What hospital is she delivering at? No, no, she's delivering at home. I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? At home? Oh, well, you must have a midwife or something. no. No, no midwife. Well, there's somebody there that knows what they're doing. Who there has experience with delivering a baby? Well, I'm probably the most experienced person. She's an MA. She's not an RN. She's not a nurse. She's an MA. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> and, and she was going to an area that I happened to have a patient who was a firefighter that worked in that area. His name is, is Jeff. Maybe you'll be listening, Jeff. And I called up Jeff and I said, hey, dude, are you on call? Because my nurse is going to her sister's and they're having a home birth and there's nobody there that knows what they're doing. And I just want to know that you're there, that you can come rescue them if they get into trouble. That was what I believed only a few mm -hmm. years ago, only now to recommend. I did an Instagram live, Jennifer Angel, who's a midwife that does home births. And I have trouble now recommending that anybody deliver their baby at the hospital with rare exception. Rare if they have exception. the option, yeah. they should be doing a home birth. I don't know about free birth, but maybe that's my next you know, thing, but certainly at home with a midwife because, the, because of the way I've seen hospitals treat mothers right. 
as I described, of course, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit hyperbolic, but nonetheless, in the ballpark of accurate, I just don't think it's the way that women should go. And maybe there's hospitals that do a better job than others, but I think what you described almost brought tears to my eyes as a wonderful, beautiful, natural process that any woman that gives birth should be allowed to experience. Nat, what say you? (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm in total alignment and agreement. When you were doing the visualization exercise, I had my eyes closed and I was envisioning my birth. And I actually did a journaling um, prompt that my birth center, I'm choosing to deliver at a birth center. It's like my happy medium. I tell people, you know, it's my first baby. I don't really know what to expect or what I'm doing. I also hired a doula, so I'll have extra support in case there's other people delivering because the midwives may be you know, distracted or split between the the pregnancies. But, you know, visualization in the mind controls so much of this outcome. If you allow to right. let the fear of what people say and, you know, their opinions drive into your your mindset, into your bubble that you're trying to, you know, have this this beautiful, peaceful pregnancy and delivery, you know, it starts at the pregnancy at conception. It starts at before conception when people are like, yeah. oh, you're getting old, you know, have you looked into IVF or fertility stuff? I'm like, no, it's just not God's time yet, right? So I've, I've always had that that mindset of, you know, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be peaceful. And I was journaling that last night, just saying that, you know, I felt calm. I felt at peace and that it's, it's me, God, and this baby. We're going to, we're going to do this thing. Yeah. So, but yeah. I'm also wanting to be smart and, you know, educated and I'm researching and I'm looking at page, package inserts. Thanks to Jeff always, you know, reminding me to do that. And I'm making decisions that, you know, some people don't understand and that's okay. It's not up to them to approve my decision. And, you know, as long as my husband and I are on the same page and there's peace in that, then I think, you know, every woman should have the choice to do what she wants. And, you know, people have come to me, well, just, you know, be prepared in case you need an emergency. And you bet you I wrote, you know, my emergency protocol on that birth plan too, in case I do have to get transferred for whatever reason. But I'm going to go with the the anticipation that that's not going to happen and, you know, just pray for the best. Sounds amazing. Yeah, that's that is amazing. wonderful. As a matter of fact, Natalie found you and brought you to us. You got to interview Natalie. this guy, this holistic OB. <laughs> You know, he's great. He's right in alignment with you guys. You got to hear his story. And it's too bad people can't see you with your fluorescent uterus given the middle (laughs) finger. And then you've got these rose colored Bono glasses on, which are kind of cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a big part of what I do is I I try to give people the tools in order to get, you know, the, the basic foundational principles of of a healthy lifestyle, you know, and, and just to give it to them, like, like, Hey, I, I can't fix everything for you. I can't guarantee you anything. However, I do know that if you're wanting, if you're struggling to get pregnant, let's say, I'll even tell people, I won't even work with you until you've gone four to six weeks of eating nature's multivitamins, which, you know, in short are a really, really high quality cod liver oil, beef liver or other organ meats, but specifically beef liver, eggs, bone broth, and smoked oysters and or other bivalves. Do that on the for at least three servings each of beef liver and oysters alone for four to six weeks, three servings per week, and then sleep eight plus hours per day for five out of seven nights for four to six weeks. And if you're still having any of this stuff that you described, then let's work together. But frankly, those little things, like this doesn't require us to be, you know, super invested even into functional medicine. This is like basic human stuff that we've gone so far astray from. And when you do those things, everything else just falls in, in, into place. You don't need a million dollars worth of supplements or a float tank and an infrared light and a sauna and cold plunge thing. And like you could spend a hundred grand hey. and if you're not eating good- Hey, food, I got a cold plunge. I do too, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm fine tuning things now. You know, you, you know, you can't Nathan, I saw a patient literally just, just today Yeah, and she was complaining that she just doesn't feel good. And is there anything I can do to help her blood work we're doing, et cetera. Yeah. And when we talked about her lifestyle, she eats a lot of sugar. Mm-hmm. She doesn't exercise. She gets very poor sleep. And I, I said, listen, I, I don't, there's nothing I can do that, right proper lifestyle can't fix. You need to you need to eat clean. You need to get exercise most days. You need to spend more time in the sun. You need to get proper sleep. There's not a blood test that's going to help me treat you. I don't have a pill to make you better. 
I don't have a pharma product to cure you from a bad lifestyle. That's right. I kind of feel like and I think you're, yeah, you know, there's a lot of good people with great intentions doing good work out here. But this prescriptive nature of, you know, I have people reach out to me on a daily basis. What is a natural remedy for fill in the blank? And I'm like, to go in down this prescriptive path, that's what we were incentivized to do. That's why we rose to the top in our, in our, our classes from organic chemistry all the way through med school and everything in between, even residency. It was a matter of outshining your peers by showing how quickly you could find the problem and find the, the quick fix to provide a natural remedy for anything that took 30 years to develop, whether it's PCOS or endometriosis or even fertility challenges, to, to suggest that the medical system is nonsense, I want the natural remedy, is actually falling into the same trap. I am absolutely 100% convinced that most women's health issues are still going to come down to the things that we have become conditioned to believe are normal in the United States and really in many parts of the world, which comes down yeah. to how are you eating? How are you moving? How are you sleeping? How are you managing stress? How are you hydrating? Those types of things. So the supplements are great. The cold plunge, all that's great, but those are tools. Those are tools for specific people in specific circumstances that are meant to polish off an already healthy lifestyle. That's and right. it doesn't even That's have right. to be that expensive. It actually is really yeah. a matter of making the right choices. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mark, what do you think? You know, this is really, this is really, I think, the wave of the future. This is what it used to be in the past. <laughs> we got away from that. And now this is what the future is looking for. There's a hunger in this country for a natural approach to health. Yeah. To going back to where we used to be where we used to take care of each other, where we didn't rely on other people, where we weren't looking for pharma solutions to every single ailment, yep. where we had grandmother's recipe. There's this lady on Instagram, what's her name? Barbara, Barbara O'Neill, I think her name is. She's from Australia. She's got all these incredible home remedies that actually work from like putting onions in a Ziploc bag on your feet when you have a cold and socks over them, all these natural things that we've completely lost in favor of pharma. You watch a football game, which I love watching on TV, pharma after pharma after pharma ad, use this drug to cure this problem. Never a word about how to simply take care of yourself by eating healthy, detoxifying your life, de-stressing your life as Jack Wolfson, who is a guest that we've had on this podcast, says, you know, eat well, live well, think well. Mm. We get back to those principles and a lot of what we believe about chronic illness and health goes away. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. It's, you know, my wife, you mentioned the the onions thing. My wife is Mexican and and one thing that that she always did in her family was you would soak, we use honey, but we can also, you can also use like a, an alcohol astringent, like a vodka or something if you wanted, but you put onion and garlic and ginger and a bunch of other stuff and just let it soak in there. And it just has, it's now this container of sludge on top of our fridge. And anytime any of us feels anything coming on, we take a, a teaspoon or a tablespoon of that. Our girls do it and they're two and four. But man, it like it's not that it's a it's not a treatment. It's actually just like, oh, let's just give ourselves a little extra boost here. And that cost us maybe six bucks, you know, to put together. And it sure For beats sure. going and spending $120 on the top quercetin and everything else, which is great. Like, don't get me wrong. If you're really sick, that might really help you. But this is like basic stuff. It, it's it's amazing that it's so it's so revolutionary, like you said, because this is like really basic stuff. But we've we've gone so far astray from just the way I view it is if you can remove the barriers to healing, your body's probably going to be able to figure it out. You just got to get the shit out of there and maybe give no it a kidding. little extra stuff and it'll be fine. It wants to heal. It yeah. wants to, you want to have 13 cycles per year, women, like your body wants to do that. So get out of the way and it'll, it'll, you'll, you'll get there. It's possible. 100%. I was thinking about this patient that I had been seeing for years and she had a child in 2018. She got pregnant again in 2020. She was very dedicated to coming to see me. I saw her husband as well. They were both emotionally dysregulated, but then eventually were doing 
much, much better and actually getting along well. Her first pregnancy went well. And then in 2020, she came in one day and she said, well, I, I saw my OB and I'm going to go get my injection. This is for the, you know, the, the, the Wuhan shot. And I said to her, you know, I don't suggest that you do that. There's a lot of concern about safety and there's no reason. More importantly, there's no reason for you to do this. You're yeah. healthy. Your baby will be healthy. Why put yourself at risk? And she was taken aback because I had disagreed with her OB. It was her OB that told her to do this. Mm. And she came back in the next time and she said, I, 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 you know, my OB is insisting that I get this shot and she won't see me and will not continue to work with me in, unless I do. Her OB threatened to, to expulse her from her practice if she were not to agree to get this injection and then sure. the booster and then the extra booster and on and on and on. And she trusted me. Yeah. And she was so hurt by this conflict that occurred, but yet she was pregnant and obviously I can't deliver her baby. So she went with her OB because she felt like she would be abandoned mm. and wouldn't have any care were she to go against the OB. And so in order to resolve that conflict, she disappeared from my practice because she could not bear to see me again and hear that I was counseling her not to do something right. that would endanger the life of her, her unborn child. And I've never heard from her again. And I've, oh. I, her, I was thinking of her as you were talking and I, she's just an embodiment really. She's a real person, but she also embodies, I think the experiences of many other women that I saw and that, that are here in, in this country who were pressured and forced to do something against their own judgment that endangered their child and themselves just so that they would not uh, lose the, the the care that they thought they needed to deliver their baby. And I'm just thinking about all those women where they have just given, as your neon sign did, the middle finger to their OB and said, you know what? Screw you. Yeah. I know what's good for me. I'm going to go my own way. I I am certain that they would have had better outcomes yeah. than than they had. Yeah. Yeah, the the whole thing you're talking about, I, I don't know what we don't or do want to say. But frankly, you know, as a doctor who trained in infectious disease and all this other stuff, you know, I, I took it this whole thing very seriously for about a month. And then I realized I was still working in the hospital. I was a hospice or a palliative care doctor. So I was seeing a lot of very sick people on ventilators and whatnot. And I remember I reached into a bag into my like backpack to get a handful of nuts and shovel them in my face. And then I grabbed an apple and I was eating an apple and I was like, oh, I didn't wash my hands. Oh no. And very, very quickly I realized, okay, so this isn't necessarily the bubonic plague, but hey, you know, to each their own, right? But then we had a baby and actually we had a baby just before this. And so it was May of 2020 and ACOG had released a statement that they recommend universal vaccination or whatever you want to call it, injection. Before, obviously, it was May of 2020. They couldn't have had safety data. So I was like, oh no. And like I, I could see, I could see the writing on the wall. It was like, I know exactly where this is going. And sure enough, it became a very, very big point of contention between so many women and their OBGYNs, women who had felt intuitively this isn't right, but they were being threatened with at 36 weeks, let's say, with having to forego care with this person they've developed this whole relationship with. Like it, it created such a rift in our communities as medical professionals with our, with our clients. And I don't say patient because you're not sick when you're, when you're pregnant, as we've already said. So, you know, without, you know, without beating a dead horse, it, it, it very, very quickly, I think, cemented in a lot of distrust between women and their partners and the OBGYNs who took an oath to take care of them. And that, for, for those reasons, I think so many women were pursuing home birth. And, and, you know, one of the silver linings as an OBGYN of that whole three-year debacle was that we weren't having people come back for four week, every four weeks for their checkups in person. And we realized, oh, I don't have to actually go in for an entire tri trimester into the clinic. Like it was actually a bit of a silver lining, but it was almost like a proof of concept without us even deliberately doing it. And so, so many women who would have otherwise been like in the hospital for every one of their births, they've had two or three babies now because they realized, oh, I don't actually have to go to an OBGYN and get an ultrasound and the P 
thing and all of that, like, I'm going to be just fine. Like it was actually, I think, a big boon to a lot of women as well. But it's it's a shame that it came at that cost uh, of distrust and uh, a sense of betrayal from our medical establishment. Because frankly, at March or, or whatever, May of 2020, we had zero data. And here was ACOG, our American college saying, this is demonstrated to be safe. We recommend it in everybody. And I was just like rubbing my temples. I was like, there is a shit storm coming. And certainly it came to my doorstep in the sense that everybody was like, what do I do? What do I do? And I was like, you got to do what you think is right. Your intuition is, 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 a, is authoritative knowledge in childbirth. This goes for you, Natalie, as well. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Like go in and get evaluated. Even if they say you're probably fine, like seek somebody else out there. Call me if you have to. But like if something doesn't feel right, it, it's not right. There's actually something important there. And if a bad outcome is inevitable for some people, fortunately, it's very, very rare. It's going to feel a lot different for women who are guided by their intuition to say no to something that results in a bad outcome versus saying no to something, saying yes to something they, they in intuitively felt was a no and a bad outcome happening. That's a burden you have to carry. You whip yourself with guilt and shame. Like, try to avoid that. I'm not speaking to you, Natalie. I'm speaking to anybody listening. But this in intuition piece, it was completely brushed away. And I think a lot of women felt betrayed. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. So we've been going almost an hour. Normally we try to limit it to about 20 to 30 minutes, but you're incredible. I admire what you do. You inspire me to keep doing what Thanks, Mark guys. and I are doing to bring our audience more information like this to normalize health, right? to normalize right holistic health. I think it is so important. And wow, thank you so much for enjoy, for uh, joining Informed Descent. It's, it's really been an honor, Nathan, and really appreciate what you do. And hopefully we can do this again. Anytime, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. And Natalie, to you specifically, best of luck. I, I think you've probably got a, a beautiful path ahead of you. Parenting is one of the most it's so cliche, but it is one of the most incredible leveling ups that we can do as adults that is unlike anything else. You're, you're in for quite a treat and, and, and a lot of, of hard turns and, and, and bumps in the road, but it's overall just one of the most expansive experiences to become a mother, I'm sure, and to be a father for certain. So thank you guys for everybody for having me. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Nathan. Godspeed. Likewise. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.